Hey guys, and welcome to Your Spiritual Best Friend, a podcast about mental health and astrology. Have you guys ever had a bad day or felt so anxious to the point where you are struggling to find yourself in this vast society we call life? Not to worry, guys. I have felt this way too. The podcast interviews guests from college students to parents and even experts that talk about their journey to where they are in the present moment. So sit back and relax and remember that you are not alone. Without further ado, let's get started with today's podcast. Have you guys heard about Anchor by Spotify as being the easiest way to make a podcast? Let me explain. It's free. Anchor has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Best of all, when even hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, like I said before, Anchor is totally free. So pick up your phones, laptops, or whatever you use and download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I hope to hear your podcast. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Today's episode is a special episode where Charlene shares her story of overcoming her sexual abuse and traumatic relationships. Before you guys can tune into the episode, this episode can get a little graphic at times, so listen with caution. And if you guys know anyone that needs help with sexual abuse or trauma, you can call the Sexual Assault Hotline at one 800 656 Four six seven three. Again, the number is one eight hundred six five six four six seven three. The number and all the links to Charlene's story will be in the show description below. But without further ado, let's get on to today's podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome to your spiritual best friend. I am your host, Josh Sanchez, and I'm here with a very special guest, Charlene. How are you doing today and what's going on? Good morning. I am fantastic. How are you doing today? Oh, you know, it's another day. I will say between the weather being hot and cold, I'm a little bit congested. So for everyone listening, I apologize. I have my tea next to me, um, but just bear with me. Um, But Charlene, uh, I just want to say before we really get into the recording, thank you for coming on. I know you have a very inspiring story that we are going to talk about today. Um, So, Charlene, the floor is yours. So my first question for you, Charlene, is tell me a little bit about like your story and your journey to where you are in the present moment. Mm -hmm. Um, I always say my journey started really super early on in my life. Uh, I was um, three and a half years old when my parents separated. Uh, I came from a pretty dysfunctional family. My dad was a very violent alcoholic. I had an older sister and two older brothers, half brothers who were twins. And um, because they were half brothers, they weren't biologically his. So when he was drinking, he tended to lash out at them. And they took a large majority of the abuse from my dad. 
And at three, when I was three and a half, my mom decided she needed to leave the relationship. And she was faced with a really difficult decision of taking all of us and going or having to only or having to stay. Um, my dad wouldn't let her take my sister and I because we were biologically his. He didn't care if she took the boys. So um, my mom made a really tough choice and she took the boys and left. And um, really, I think that was the only choice she had to make. If she would have stayed, he probably would have killed one of my brothers. So we're with my dad. He's an alcoholic. He can't raise two young girls. So he contacts my grandparents and says, can you take the girls? And my grandmother didn't skip a beat. She said, absolutely. And uh, my grandmother was an absolutely amazing woman, super strong. I always thought she was very far ahead for her time. She believed that women should get a good education, be independent, make their own money and not depend on anyone. And I learned that lesson a little bit too well, I think, but um, my grandfather, on the other hand, was a pedophile. And at the age of three and a half, my sister and I both started experiencing uh, sexual abuse at his hands. And this went on for nine years. And um, so I was about 12 and a half. My sister was 16. And she went to school one day and basically had a nervous breakdown because at 16, she was terrified of becoming pregnant at the hands of my grandfather. And so um, she wanted to leave the house. She thought about running away, but she knew if she left, then the worst abuse would now be, you know, inflicted on me. And she didn't want to leave me there. She had the sense that she had to protect me. And um, so she went to school. It all came out. My grandfather was arrested. Um, my grandparents divorced. And the, the only family that I really knew had now broke apart. And I had a lot of shame. I grew up in a small town, so everybody knew there was no uh, keeping any of that secret. And, um, you know, we're talking the mid 80s when all of this came out. So um, follow up counseling and all this really wasn't a huge thing. And of course, my grandmother having this belief that you just put your head down, be strong and get through things. She didn't really work to get us any counseling. And I remember just, you know, when it all came out, sitting in a social worker's office and, you know, having this woman come around and pat me on the back and say, I just want you to know you're going to be okay. And I'm 12 and a half. I already at this point in my life have no idea what okay is because I've never felt okay. But I put on a brave face because I want to keep my grandma happy and I go into high school. And of course, I start dealing right away in high school with depression um, again, not being able to cope emotionally with all of these feelings that were coming up just led me to um, internalize it. I felt no one loved me. I felt zero self-worth and I didn't know how to deal with that. Um, so to deal with the emotions that were coming up, I started cutting myself. Um, it was just this release of the emotions, which seemed so overwhelming at the time they needed an outlet and cutting was the easiest way. And then I started writing and it was a, a, a little healthier way of expressing those emotions. But I always said I either poured ink out onto paper or uh, blood at the time. So 
I'm writing. And of course, I'm writing really dark stuff. I'm talking about death and depression and, and suicide and, you know, abuse and sexual trauma. And of course, that caught the attention of my English teacher who sent me to the guidance counselor who sent me to a school psychologist that they had come in. So I spend an afternoon doing assessments, questionnaires, talking, which was the last thing I really wanted to do with this school psychologist. And at the end of the four hours of just me and her sitting in this office, and again, I'm 15, um, she looks across the desk and says, I want you to know we're diagnosing you as bipolar manic depressive. And I'm thinking, I don't even know what that means. You know, I'm sitting here by myself. I've got no guardian, no family. You're telling me that I've got this thing that I don't know what it is. Really, I just feel like I'm crazy. And I'm thinking, okay, great. Now I just get to add that to what's wrong with me. And she looked across, she goes, but I want you to know you're going to be okay. And I'm like starting to feel really angry because I'm like, okay, here's another adult telling me that I'm going to be okay when I don't feel like I'm okay. And she just kind of, you know, if you need to talk, book an appointment, come in, we're here for you. And I'm thinking the last thing I want to do is talk. I just want to pretend that none of this happened. I just want to get through life. I want to move away because I think if I can move, everything will be better. So I throw myself into school because my grandmother, you know, was so education was so important to her. And I wanted to please her so bad because she was the only one who had loved me. I thought unconditionally that was there. And I think part of me was terrified that if I didn't do all, she would send me away. So I get through high school and I move away, of course, that's what one plan is. And I move away with my high school sweetheart. And um, we plan on starting a family very soon after moving out. I was 21. I got pregnant, had my first daughter at 21. And then I had my second daughter when I was 25. And then I had my son when I was 27. And I thought, I think inside that every child that I had would fill the hole, the void that I had. Um, I thought that I could fix the generational trauma that had happened, that I could be a better mom, that I could do all these great things, but I didn't have any of the coping skills that I needed. Uh, the only coping skill that I really had at the time was drinking. And I threw myself into that. I was drinking extremely heavy. And of course, if you suffer from depression, the last worst thing you can do is drink because it's just accentuating all those things. And when I got to about 28, I realized how dark of a depression that I was in and I had started fantasizing again about taking my own life. And I remember sitting down with my husband and saying, I think I need to leave the household because I'm afraid my kids are going to come home and find me dead because I was making plans of hanging myself, which would be the best way to do it. And it terrified me. And at this point, our marriage was basically non-existent anyway. So he was like, okay, yeah, it sounds like a great idea. And uh, so I moved away to actually, I moved in with my mother-in-law and um, cause it was close to my kids still. So I could see them throughout the day. And I thought I would be able to get myself together, but again, I had no skills. I had no tools to get it together. And I just sunk deeper into depression and drinking because now I bore the guilt of leaving my children like I had, my parents had done to me. And about a month after I left my husband, um, I met someone else and jumped right into a relationship. And of course, this just fit my need of that external validation of someone telling me I was worth loving. And when they say like attracts like, 
They are so true because the person I got into a relationship with was extremely dysfunctional. Um, he was an alcoholic as well. Um, I wasn't aware at the time when we got together um, about a drug addiction that he had. Um, he suffered from his own mental health issues and he was violent when he drank. And this stemmed from trauma he had experienced as a child as well. And so really quickly on in the relationship, the domestic violence started. And I remember after a really bad night sitting on the living room floor and just sitting there crying and going, what am I doing? I can't exist like this. Like this is not a way to live. And I went to my medicine cabinet and I emptied all of the pills that were in there. And he was on um, pain medication for a back injury. He had suffered sleeping pills. So I just emptied out the cabinet, took everything. And then I sat down on my couch with a pad of paper and a pen. And I started writing my goodbye letters to my children because I didn't want to leave without saying goodbye. And I felt like I needed to justify to them why I was leaving them. And as I'm sitting there and tears are just pouring down my face and I'm sobbing, I'm thinking I am leaving my children in the most complete way. Like there's no going back. I'm just repeating the cycle again. And, you know, I couldn't do it. Thank goodness in that moment. And I called a cab. I went to the emergency room and I was sitting at the admissions desk telling them that I thought I was overdosing and I collapsed. And when I woke up, I have tubes down my throat and my partner is sitting next to me um, crying, saying how sorry he is and that nothing would ever happen like that again. Of course, those are just words. Um, I get discharged from the hospital. My mom reaches out because my partner had notified um, her of what had happened. And she said, I think you need to move. Now, at the time, I'm in Ontario and Canada and she's living out in British Columbia. So she's like, I think you need to move across country, pack the kids up. We'll help you get on your feet. And I'm like, perfect. This fits into my, my pattern of running to avoid my problems. So I move across the country thinking I'm going to, you know, start to get it together again, no tools. And six months after I moved, my partner decided he was going to move out West as well. Uh, said that he had loved me. He missed me. He was going to change he was going to make it work. And all it did was create another decade of the same cycle of dysfunction, violence, alcoholism, uh, started committing adultery, all these different things. And um, I remember it was actually July 1st. It was Canada Day up here in Canada. We're talking 2015. Um, he uh, actually 2014, sorry. He comes home and he says, I just want you to know I'm moving out today. And I'm like, what? And he's like, I'm moving in with someone else. And I was absolutely devastated. I felt abandoned all over again. And he packed his stuff and he moved. And I thought, okay, now is my opportunity to get it together. You know, we can make a fresh start. We're out of the abusive situation and we didn't have to leave it. So it made it easy to get out that way. And so I throw myself into hanging out with people and, you know, trying to pretend like I'm pulling myself together when inside I'm just falling apart. And about two and a half months after he had moved out, I was just, I finished a shift. I was bartending at the time and a police officer walked in and said, Hey, Charlene, can I talk to you outside? Now this is an officer who had been involved in one of our domestic disputes. So he knew where to find me. And I go outside with him and he said, Charlene, I just came on shift and I received notification. I wanted to come let you know, 
um, your partner, your ex-partner has committed suicide. They found his body. And I was just like devastated. It felt like the world just completely stopped and was caving in on me. Um, I felt again, abandoned in the most ultimate way. And I think I had kind of carried on hope that somehow we would make it back together, that he would decide I was worth it this time. And now that was gone. And we had been together for 13 years, 13 and a half years. So um, I decide to, you know, just keep plugging away like I always did. And about two weeks after I'm sitting with a good friend of mine and I'm like, I'm so angry. And she's like, well, of course, anger is one of the stages of grief. And uh, I'm like, no, I'm not angry. He took his life. I'm angry. He did it first. Because now I see what's left behind. I see all the pieces that the people who are left behind have to pick up. How do you do that to someone you love? And I wanted to end my life so bad that I was stuck in this, you know, tug of war of wanting to, but not wanting to hurt those people and make them deal with that. And I thought, okay, we need to get some help. Um, I had reached a point where I was sitting on my bathroom floor again with pills in one hand, gun cabinet key in the other hand going, you know, which would be the best way to do it. And as women tend to do when we deal with mental health, we always, again, think of what people have to deal with. And I was thinking, if I shoot myself, someone's going to have to clean up after me. It's a rental property. Do I really want to do that to someone? And my son's in the basement. Do I want him to find me? All these thoughts, you know, rational thoughts going through my head. And I remember just grabbing a knife and cutting myself. And as I'm watching the blood pool on the floor, again, I'm thinking, okay, we're teetering on an edge of we're either going to take our life or we need to get help. This is you're at that pivotal moment in time where you have to choose. So I got up the next morning, I made a call, started seeing a psychiatrist and I was about three appointments in and I'm getting really frustrated because I'm a kind of impatient person and I'm kind of a, you know, give me a list of stuff to do. I like my lists. I tell me to do this, to this, to do this, and I can do it. I don't want to talk about what happened in the past because, you know, I know why I'm crazy is what I'm thinking at the time. I just need to know how to fix it. And I remember looking across at her and saying, well, how did you fix your mental illness? Like, how did you get better? And I watched her eyes kind of glaze over and she's like, well, I've never had to deal with mental illness. And I'm thinking, then how can you possibly tell me you understand how I feel? How can you even relate to me? You've got no experience to this whatsoever. And you're telling me once again, that I'm going to be okay. Here's another person who doesn't understand telling me that I'm going to be okay. And I left that appointment. And I made my decision that I was ending my life. I, I was tired of trying to fit in when I felt like I was never going to be able to. Before I had left, I had, um, I had received a life insurance policy from my ex-partner's passing. And I had just purchased a house. I was in the stages of it. And the psychiatrist was so excited because she's like, all right, you're buying a house because people who are killing themselves don't make plans for the future like that. But what I was doing was I was planning to leave a legacy for my children. I felt that finances was the only thing I could provide to, for them. And so I set a date when I left. I was taking possession of my house September 26th. I was taking my life a month later. I would take a month, get everything set up for my son who would be moving in with me to make sure that everything was arrangements were made. 
And about two weeks before the date that I had set, um, a friend of mine that I worked with came up to me and said, hey, there's this woman's workshop. Do you want to come with me? And I was like, no, absolutely not. That was the last thing that I was thinking about at the time. And she says, please, I really want to go. I don't want to go alone. Now that's my kryptonite always has been my, you know, concern and compassion for other people always trumped myself. And I was like, Oh man. And I thought, okay, let's just go, you know, we'll make her happy. She really needs this event is what I'm thinking. And it's good for us. Cause we can just pretend like everything's okay. No one will suspect anything. So I showed up that Saturday. I had planned on going on the Monday to take my life. Um, I had the hunting rifle in the back seat of my car. I had the stick that I was going to use to pull the trigger to make sure that the gun didn't shift or anything like that. I had the location picked. I knew exactly where I was going. I was going the same place my ex-partner had gone. And I walked into that room at the workshop and I immediately felt sick to my stomach. I'm looking at all these women who seem like they've got it together They're all talking and excited about making plans, setting goals. And I just felt again, how out of place I felt in the world. It just was like a spotlight hit me when I walked in like, Hey, this person's fake. They're phony. They don't belong here. And I thought, wow, this just emphasizes how I felt throughout my entire life. So I shuffle over to my seat and sit down and just kind of pretend blend in. And the first half of the day, people I can't relate to talking about finances, physical health and wellness. And then the afternoon session comes and a woman takes the stage and she is bald. She has alopecia and she starts talking about her struggles as a child being bullied, uh, feeling a zero, zero lack of self-worth, feeling not worthy because she didn't have hair and how she hated herself And how the moment that she had learned to love herself and not depend on the society and the world outside of her to validate her, the minute she loved herself, her entire life shifted. And as I'm sitting there, I hear a little voice in my back of my head that says, what about you? And I'm thinking, yeah, like how different could my life have been had I learned to love myself? Had I not needed validation? Had I not needed someone to make up for what I felt my parents didn't love me and how my grandfather emotionally didn't, you know, love me and, and, you know, being abused. What if uh, my love was enough? And I kind of sloughed it off, of course. And the next speaker gets on stage and she starts talking about living with mental, uh, mental health and, and depression and how she had fought it for two decades. And it had been a tough battle where sometimes she didn't think she was going to win. And how the moment she learned to stop fighting it and embrace it again as being part of herself and part of her life and learning to live with it and try instead of trying to, to rid herself of it, how her life had changed. And again, I hear that little voice as I'm sitting there that says, what about you? And I thought, yeah, how different would my life have been had I learned to live with my mental illness instead of letting it control my life and trying to fight it and push it back and keep it at bay? What if I embraced it and said, okay, this is part of me. You know, it's that friend that you hate, but you can't live without. And again, I kind of sloughed it off. And then the next speaker gets on stage and it's a gentleman and he starts talking about alcoholism, uh, addiction to pain medication, being divorced, losing his family, not having visitation really with his kids and being suicidal and how he'd spent a year trying to find that perfect mix of 
pain medication and alcohol so he could make his suicide look like an accidental overdose because he sold life insurance. He knew what he had to do. And one evening, his wife, ex-wife contacted him and said, hey, can you watch the kids? We'd like to go out. You can have them overnight. Now, this never happened. And of course, he said, yes, absolutely. And it happened to be that night that he found that perfect mix of pain medication and alcohol. And as he was slowly overdosing and laying on his couch with his kids sleeping in the room next to him, he heard a voice that said, no, like, not like this, not today. There's more. And he got to his phone and he called 911 and he was able to get to the hospital. He was saved. He got clean and sober. He got support for his mental illness. And now he was out sharing his story, sharing his struggles in hopes that he could reach someone and help them. And as I'm sitting there in that chair, I'm thinking, what is going on right now? Like, it's like I'm looking around the room, looking for that hidden camera because I'm thinking, okay, I'm at an event that I didn't want to come to. And I have just heard three speakers talk about the three areas in my life that need the biggest change. And I thought, this can't be accident. Like, I am here in this seat at this exact moment for a reason. And I thought, what if I took all of my experiences, all of my struggles that I have experienced, and I go out there and not tell someone that it's okay, you're going to be okay, but just to say, hey, I've been there. I understand how you're feeling. I'll sit with you if you need me to. And just to let them know that they're not alone, because like I knew other people had struggled. I knew people had you know gone through domestic abuse and sexualized trauma and and mental health struggles. I knew all of that, but to hear people share so raw, so honestly and authentically, it just impacted my life. And I thought, what if I could take all this bad and I could turn it around and use it for good? And it was in that moment that I say that I found my purpose in life. And I decided that that's what I was going to do. I decided in that moment that I was going to not just live, I was going to thrive. And I went up to the, the lady who hosted the event and I said, hey, I want to share with you, you know, what this event meant to me because I felt just drawn to let her know the impact. And I said, I would love to come back next year and share my story. And I kind of thought as I was leaving, wow, we actually, for the first time, are making plans for the future. This is a good sign. And, um, and I went back the next year. And I spoke at the event. And, you know, I remember before I got off the stage, just saying, you know, my purpose in sharing my story is just to let people know they're not alone. And if me sharing my story can save one life, then I know everything I have gone through has been worth it. And I got off the stage and I was getting ready to walk out of the room. And I had a woman that had been there approach me and she said, you know how you wanted to save a life? And I was like, yeah. And she says, today you did. And she turned and walked away. And I was just kind of standing there kind of in shock and awe. And I was like, okay. And then I hear that little voice in the back of my mind and it said, okay, let's go find one more. So for me, every day is about reaching out and trying to find that one more, that one more person who needs to know they're not alone, who needs to know that it's okay to not be okay. Society tells us that we have to be okay all the time. And it's like, you know what? You don't have to have it all together. We don't have to be okay all the time. 
but we can't stay that way. We have to rise up. We have to, you know, try to, to get help and reach out because life is such an amazing adventure. And so for me coming on, being able to speak and share my story, that's me on my journey to find that one more. Wow, Charlena, I will say, just listening to your whole journey and your story, it's really an inspiration and really powerful. Um, and I, and there are some a couple takeaways that I really wanted to like really like focus in on as I was hearing you describe your journey. Like one, like the fact that you went through like decades, you know, of like no one really not really having like that one caretaker that can just like you know like be there for you, you know and that's then that and that's what led to a lot of like you know like you were like traveling you're trying to leave as a way like to cope you know just because you really did not at that time you really did not have anyone in that corner to really just pull you aside and just let you speak and what you're going through um because as you were describing like you had a lot of stuff in especially in the very beginning and the fact and i just wanted to say this like the fact that you because you experienced definitely a lot of trauma and the fact that you are still standing here, you know, you're being able to share your story and, and tell other people your story. Power to you, Charlene, for that. Like I like I said, like it's really inspiring and and I just want to say power to you. You are definitely, definitely one of the most strongest people I've definitely ever talked to, especially when it comes to like handling everything that you handled and overcoming that to be able to inspire others and help others. And that was just one of those things that really stuck by me in the very beginning, like experiencing what you experienced with the family trauma and, and the sexual abuse from your own family member. And and the fact that you went through all those years, nine, nine plus years of, of that, you know, and, and not having anyone to really just sit down and, and talk to you and like make you not feel like a like you're alone, you know, and. And it, it was just it's a very insp inspiring story, Charlene. And I wanted to say thank you for sharing and. When it comes to my next question, so I, as I was hearing you describe like like your younger self, you know, like what's some advice that you would give to your younger self in that time period? Because like you said, like you've went to get professional help a couple times and the only response that you heard was you're going to be OK. What do you think in that moment was something that you really wanted to hear from that person? I don't know. I, I definitely I always say to people, it's like. I didn't want to hear I was going to be okay because when you're so deep in it, um, you don't feel number one, I didn't know what okay was. And I think that's what some of my struggle was because I hadn't, you know, I don't have any memories of being with my parents. Um, my memories all revolved around being with my grandparents. And from that time, like the beginning of my memories, it, it was a mix of, of, being okay and not being okay because you know my grandmother was that yin and yang because my grandmother was so loving and strong but then you know I was dealing with the abuse so you know I I, I do a lot of coaching with women and I never tell them that's one thing you'll never hear me say is it's going to be okay you know I will say what can we do to to get you on that path but I never make promises like that so I think if I had to talk to my younger self I would tell myself that it was okay to have a voice. Um, and I think that was a big thing for me. I wanted as a child, um, I wanted a career as a journalist. And I think it was because I had felt like I didn't have a voice as a child. And I wanted to be able, I thought being a journalist, I could give voice to other people's struggles and stories and traumas. Like I was so passionate about helping other people. 
And I think probably because I was so desperate for someone to help me that I wanted to help other people. So, but I think for myself, just being able to say, you know, use, use your voice. And I think it's very difficult at the time. And I mean, nowadays it's so much easier for kids to, to, to talk about it because it is talked about more, but just saying it's okay to have a voice, even if people don't agree with what you're saying, um, you know, use your voice and embrace your voice. Yeah, that was another like really spot on answer, Charlene. And and I will say like, as more people are being more comfortable with sharing their trauma and sharing what they've experienced, because I definitely think it's a lot. It's like a very like old school method where it's like you suppress everything, you keep everything inside and you keep pushing. Uh, my grandma definitely relates the same to how your grandmother is, where she's just like, you just keep pushing. You got to keep working hard and keep pushing. Don't really like talk about and express anything. You know, you just got to keep fighting. Um, I That's like a definitely like a consistent phrase that my grandmother used to say to mm-hmm. me a lot. Um, so I just wanted to point out again, like just continuing as you were taking like your steps forward, you know, from coping from this trauma and learning to understand this trauma. What are some like challenges that like you were facing within yourself? Again, self-love was the biggest thing for me. That was the, where my life shifted the most. Um, I didn't love myself. I didn't feel, you know, that I was worthy of love. I think when I started experiencing the domestic abuse, it completely fit the pattern that I had for myself and what I thought I deserved. I mean, I had just abandoned my kids. I had so much shame and, and you know, guilt over that, that when I went in and started getting abused, I thought, oh, okay, yeah, this is, this is karma. This is, I'm getting exactly what I deserved. But I mean, that pattern of abuse had been there that I didn't see that I deserved anything better. So, you know, I think being able to shift that and, and developing that number one, that self-love and then, you know, the things that I work on is, you know, self-love and self-responsibility and self-honesty. I mean, uh, I'm, believe in a radical, honest environment. So I think we have to get really honest with ourselves about where we are and accept responsibility for it. And it's really tough thing for people to, uh, to have to swallow, because I mean, I could look back, back and, and say, um, blame the choices that I make on the past. Um, I probably have more reasons to be, you know, to use that than anybody else. But I, I also look at the decisions I'm making now are the I don't, I can't keep blaming my past on the decisions I'm making now. I have to be responsible for myself and say, Hey, I'm choosing to make these decisions. I can choose to make good decisions or bad decisions, but the choice is mine. I'm responsible for those. And if I make a bad decision, that's on me. And, um, and I think that's, you know, being responsible and loving myself and, you know, again, being loving yourself, you have to set, you know, healthy boundaries. And sometimes those boundaries, you have to set her with yourself. So. Yeah, definitely. Charlene, boundary setting is definitely key because the more boundaries you are setting, like you're, like you said, like you're expressing like that self-love and, and like, you're really taking those steps to really like understand yourself more. Cause like the fact that you're able to like, let's say you're in a relationship with somebody and like, you have to set those boundaries and expectations, whether that's a friendship, romantic partner in the very beginning, you know, because you're setting those boundaries, which is helping establish like your relationship. And and people are crazy. Like once someone knows they can like twist a boundary, depending on like who you date, like they will take advantage of that. So definitely, like you said, like learning to self-love, 
setting those boundaries is definitely something key in any relationship, Charlene. So I wanted to say that was another great piece of advice. But transitioning a little bit, I know we talked a lot about like your story and your journey, which has been a real inspiration. So like my first question, just transitioning to that is like, what are some qualities that you look for in like a friendship and like a romantic partner? I think honesty has to be number one. Um, I believe that uh, honesty, whether uh, there's no bad honesty, I guess, but um, I just believe that you should be able to talk uh, like my friends all know that if I think, how do I say this? If I think they're screwing up, I'm, I'm going to tell them I think they're screwing up because I look at all the people in my life who watched me sink into such dysfunction and no one stood up and said, Hey, this isn't good. This isn't right. Um, and I think you need to be able to, you know, loving someone means being able to tell the good and the bad. So, you know, for me having a friend who's willing to hold me accountable, right. In both friendship and, and relationship is so important and romantic relationship, you know, it's this, it's the same way of being able to be honest um, when you know that what you're saying can be tough having the, the tough conversations because it's in those tough conversations that the growth happens and where the, the relationships get stronger and they strengthen. So for me, honesty is, is number one. Number two would be making me laugh. I mean, I, you know, I've had a lot of serious stuff going on in my life and, and I love to laugh. So um, when I'm in, I, I am happy to say right now, I am happily married. Um, I, after the workshop um, that I attended that saved my life, one of the things that we got challenged to do was do some things that scared us. Um, because when you realize how much you let fear control your life, it's astonishing the things we don't do out of fear. And so we got challenged to make a list of six things and try to check that list off. And for me, one of the things on my list was ask someone out on a date, because again, I was so terrified of rejection because I had let it identify my self-worth. So I thought, okay, we're, we're afraid to ask someone out. Let's ask them out. And if they say no, it's going to prove to us that we're not going to die, that we'll survive. And so I asked someone out on a date and this was in November. We had our first date in um, December and we got married the following August. And um, he was kind of everything that you know, I had looked for, he made me laugh. He was able to have, um, you know, open, honest communication. And um, it, yeah, it was just like, I kind of went the universe. Once I made that decision to, to live, the universe kind of set all the pieces of the, of the puzzle there and allowed me to start putting it back together. So, but yeah, honesty and, and um, humor are huge for me. Yeah, definitely, Charlene. Those are some definitely like great traits to have. Honest, uh, honestly, I can definitely understand what, especially when it comes to being honest, having those honest and real conversations, like you said, Charlene, like it really helps us grow in our relationship within ourselves and also our romantic and friendship relationships. Because if you're holding something back and you're not truly being honest with your friend or with your romantic partner, like 
you're not being like a real friend. So I, I definitely like can relate to you, Charlene, when it comes to like being honest, not just with the goods, but also with the bads too. Like, hey, like what you did was not really good. Here's mm-hmm. why it's not really good. Cause that's how you guys grow and understand each other. And for the humor trade, I, I completely agree with that as well. Because especially in the world that we live in, you know, especially everything that you have experienced, Charlene, with the trauma and the abuse, like having someone make you laugh, making you feel happy, you know, those are some things that are, that are, that's just great. And you got to have humor. People have to have humor. <laughs> um, but just transitioning a little bit. And before we like wrap up our relationship talk, I usually ask this question because it's a funny little question. I always like to ask people about relationships. So the question talks about like turnoffs. So let's say like someone on a first date does this. You're not having a second date um, before. I'll let you think about it, Charlene. But for me, um, I I had like a little test. And when I started dating very early, um, I would hand people the aux cord. And depending on what they played was like my little test. Um, but for you, Charlene, like, do you have like any little test or do you have like, like any little like turnoffs where you wouldn't have like a, like a second date? Yeah, absolutely. I didn't even have to give a thought about that. Um, if we, you know, if, if you're going out somewhere, you're going out for dinner. Um, for me, how the person I'm going to date treats um, their waiter or waitress. And I always think, uh, and probably because I spent 30 years in the hospitality industry, waitressing and bartending, but I always think it's how you treat other people. Um, And maybe it's how you treat people that you think are less than you, because that tends to be a thought pattern sometimes, but how you treat other people who may not be what you think is at your level shows me the type of person that you are. I want someone who is kind and loving and compassionate and that has grace for other people and the mistakes they make. So if I am out on a date and we're at dinner and the person that I'm, you know, on the date with treats the server poorly, that's a, yeah, no, you would be done in my book. So. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and I can definitely agree with that as well. And everyone listening, definitely 10 out of 10 agrees because like you said, Charlene, like how, the person you're on a date with treats like the staff like what happens when things don't work in our relationship are you going to treat me similarly to how you treated that person you know so i definitely think <clears throat> that is a good piece of advice and and just to add to our conversation i'm actually interviewed someone like a like a couple months ago and she actually gave a really it seems like women always give like the best advice i, I just wanted to say um but she said like when before you go on a first date with this person Say no initially. So let's say like they plan a date, you know, and you have a date scheduled. Say like, no, I'm sorry. Like, I can't make that event and see how they respond to how you say no, Mm. because that's like another like a good little a good little like a good little test to really think about, because how they react is definitely going to be important because there's going to be times where you're going to have to say no to your partner. There's going to be times where you talk about boundary setting and they might not agree to the boundary that you set. So that's like a good little, good little test I wanted to add to the, to the conversation, Charlene. Um, um, but just transitioning a little bit, uh, we talked a lot about relationships and you shared your very inspiring story that I've really enjoyed so far. And I definitely think the listeners and the viewers are really going to enjoy. Um, let's talk a little bit about astrology before we wrap everything up. So Charlene, my first question for you, when it comes to astrology, how do you feel about it overall and what's your overall relationship with it? Oh, 
Oh, I would say my relationship with astrology is in its um, early dating stages. I have just, um, I have probably over the last year and a half, two years, really tapped more into um, my spiritual side. Like I said, knowing, um, having that belief after I attended that event, uh, event where I went, okay, this is not all by accident. And, and understanding that I think the universe had a greater plan for me um, coming to that realization and knowing that because um, I, I didn't grow up, um, didn't grow up religious, uh, was always curious about spirituality. And I think um, I have just learned to tap into it more and more and more. And I keep learning and looking at different areas. So for me, the, uh, the astrology is, is interesting. It's not something that um, I've done a lot of um, studying on, but um, I know I am a Leo and I think I, I highlight those qualities a lot. And it was, you know, strangely enough, I will say when I did my astrology, that natal chart, um, I looked at one section of it and it was the, um, your sun sign and your moon sign. And to me, sun and moon are kind of opposites. I don't know if that's what that means in astrology, but in my mind, it's they're opposites. And my moon sign was Capricorn. Now, all three of my relationships that I've been in, my partners have been Capricorn. So I found that very interesting. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. <laughs> I was like, hmm, I wonder if that's something I should look into oh yeah um and and just to like add to our conversation like um especially when it comes to like your sun and moon so your moon sign is how we process things emotionally mm -hmm. and your sun sign is who you are to the core and and definitely like you said like those two can definitely be depending on your chart can be like confrontation within yourself so like for you like you have an like a, you have an expressive leo side and then you also have like a determined analytical capricorn side so i can see why like how you would feel like yeah like i feel like my sun and moon they're definitely like opposites because i mean they're not like exactly opposites but like their personalities are two different personalities so i can see where that can lash out and stuff and like you know like they can like combat with each other um huh. but the signs, as I was looking at your chart, because um, I know we really talked about a lot and we've really had like a deep, meaningful conversation, um, but some highlights that I really see in your chart. Um, one of the things I always like to start off with is towards the end of the chart, like there's like masculine and feminine energy. Um, masculine energy is more like, and there's, there's, 10, there's 10 traits altogether. Um, but masculine energy is tend to, you know, like put yourself out there, be like assertive, um, dominant feminine energy is more like understanding yourself spiritually. Um, there's, there's, those are like the two like main energies when it comes to spirituality and for your chart, you have seven masculine and three feminine. So I wanted to highlight that. So like, as I was hearing you describe, like you like being like a life coach, you know, you're coaching like a lot of women, you're trying to help them out. Like that's a lot of like that energy where like you're taking the initiative, you're, you want to be you want to be like the leader, you know, you want to like share your story as much as possible, inspire others. And then, like you said, like there's a part of you that really wants to understand spirituality more. And and so like those are like the two energies and how they clash a little bit in your chart. So I wanted to highlight that first. 
Um, but one of the new things that I learned, and I definitely think this is a really cool aspect to anyone's chart, um, is your north node. So your north node and your south node, your south node is mistakes that your past lives have made. And your north node is what you're supposed to learn in this lifetime that your past lifetimes did not know about. So for you, uh, Charlene, your north node is in Capricorn, which means your south node is in Cancer. So how to find your south node? It's the sister sign of the north node. So for Capricorns, the sister sign of Capricorn is Cancer. Um, I'll give another example. For me, like I'm a Taurus, so my south node would be a Scorpio. So like that's how you sort of find. So for earth signs, it's a water sign. That's your sister sign. For air signs, it's fire. And it's the and it, it works the opposite way as well. Like if you're a fire sign, your your south node will be an air sign. So that's like a quick little quick little explanation. So for your north node in Capricorn, um, Charlene, um, what you're supposed to learn in this lifetime, and I really think as I was hearing you describe your story, it really it really makes sense. So Capricorns are all about setting goals and achieving them. Um, so in this lifetime, you're supposed to take what you have what you have learned, you know, through like mistakes, trials, and throughout your journey, and you're supposed to set goals from those experiences and create a mission in your life and really like wanting to achieve like that that success in life so <clears throat> as my, my folks i know i'm a little congested but yeah as i was like describing like your journey you know like you were really acknowledging like your feelings and your intuition as you were going through this journey you know and and then once you were able to like find that realization moment you were setting goals you know you were finding like that path for yourself and um and it says one of the highlights when it comes to North with Capricorn North knows you, you go through a lifetime of just trial and error. And then, like I, like I mentioned before, like you're supposed to take what you've learned, your mistakes and positives, negatives, and set those goals and really like put yourself out there, you know, and really be determined and motivated. So as I was describing like the North node, how are you feeling about it, Charlene? I feel like that's, me. <laughs> I set a lot of goals. And especially since, you know, as I say that I feel like I found my purpose, it's been a lot more, more focused on setting goals. And, and uh, yeah, the year 2022 is, is going to, it's a huge year for me. That's my instinct. My intuition is saying that this is going to be a huge year. So that fits really well. Perfect. And, and that sounds great to me. So before like we wrap everything up, um, I always have my guests that come on the podcast. Um, I, I Google your sun and moon and this website called the horoscope.co. It's created by women. They, uh, a lot of women, like they teamed up together. Obviously, women are amazing. This is why great things like this happen. <laughs> um, so what 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 this website is, the horoscope.co is you just Google like your sun and moon and they give like a little reading on like your combination. So for you, Charlene, you are a Leo sun, Capricorn moon, like you mentioned. Um, as I give you a reading, you know, just let me know how you feel about it. So for you, Charlene, Leo sun, Capricorn moon, it says a determined personality. The Leo sun, Capricorn natives are characterized by amazing strength and self-sufficiency. Positives for your sun and moon combination, mannered, empathetic, and trustworthy. Negative negatives can be obsessive at times and have a high ego. Perfect partner, someone who accepts they might come second after work life. 
Word of advice, they should count more on facts and less on feelings. So as I give you like your little reading, your sun and moon, positives, negatives, and all that fun stuff, what are some thoughts that come to mind? Uh, the facts and feelings one that really resonated because I, um, I, my husband, who's a Capricorn, he's, he's very analytical. I, he falls on the, um, uh, I always say the audio digital side of, of representational systems and where I'm more, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an auditory person, but he, um, he always says that I need to get the facts before I, I take action. Cause I tend to just take action before getting all the facts. And so that kind of, that, that fits. I tend to go with my emotions rather than, than having all the facts. So yeah, definitely, Charlene. And, and I definitely think that's just like that Leo energy. You know, it's like, let's get to this. Let's let's express ourselves. Let's put ourselves out there. You know, so I, de- I could definitely see, like you mentioned in the beginning of our astrology talk, like you have the Leo and the Capricorn energy just clashing with each other from time to time. So I just wanted to highlight that and all that fun stuff. But Charlene, I've really enjoyed our full conversation where can everybody check out your work? And because I know you mentioned like you're being like a life coach, you know, you're really helping women out and all that stuff, which is great to hear. Um, where can everybody check out your work? Um, you can check out my website, charlenemadden-speaker.com. Um, I also am a Reiki practitioner. So I do some, I have a website that's called Ascension Wellness Studio. And um, you can find me on all the social media platforms. I'm on Facebook, Charlene Madden Speaker, and um, same Instagram. You can find me on there. I'm dabbling in TikTok. Uh, it's kind of exciting. <laughs> so for an old lady, TikTok's pretty cool. So um, yeah, so just find me and, and reach out. I do a workshop once a year. Um, it's called Ignite Your Life BC. You can find that on Facebook and you can join us virtually. So it's a great opportunity for for women to come together and hear other women's inspiring stories and to, to help, you know, do some mind shit, mindset shifting. So, but, and I also, if I can, I always like to leave a podcast with one quick message. And that's if you're feeling stuck and alone and in a dark place, and you feel like you don't have anyone to reach out to, and you don't feel like anyone understands what you're going through please find me on Facebook, send me a message. I'm available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I always say I will come and sit with you. It's probably going to be virtually, but I will come and sit with you in the dark until you're ready to rise up into the light. Cause I don't want anyone to ever feel alone. Like I did for so long. So. Yeah, Charlene. And like I said, like I've really enjoyed our conversation, very powerful, very inspirational and all the links that Charlene mentioned, but all of her work will be in the show description. Um, but Charlene, I've really had a wonderful time and please stay safe. Thank you. Thank you.